Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try, and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order, and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists to join Spring 2023 evening and weekend classes and select master classes, which are offered in person in Manhattan and virtually throughout the world. Part-time classes in drawing, painting, and sculpture meet once a week during the spring and fall semesters and are an ideal way for artists of all levels to experience the school's learning through making pedagogy work with its dedicated instructors, and join the expansive New York Studio Schools community. Classes begin the week of January 30th. Enroll today at nyss.org. Sophie Trependahl is a painter currently based in New Orleans, Louisiana. She received her BA from the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina in 2013, and she currently has a solo exhibition at Philip Martin Gallery in Los Angeles titled Take Care of Yourself. She's had solo shows at Johansson Projects in Oakland, Quirk Gallery in Richmond, and Indianapolis Art Center. Sophia is represented by Philip Martin Gallery in Los Angeles and Jack Hanley Gallery in New York, and has a solo show planned for the fall at Jack Hanley. Sophie has been awarded residencies with the Golden Foundation in New Berlin, New York, 100 West Corsicana in Corsicana, Texas, and the Wasaic Project in Wasaic, New York. Here's Sophie and I in conversation. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Thanks for messaging me. I, uh, I've listened to a lot of your episodes. I also, my husband gave me the book for Christmas. So I am, um, I haven't read That's all of so them, nice. but it's like, yeah, when you reached out, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Cause I'm, I'm a podcast, I'm a podcast listener. So I've never, it's very weird. The idea that at some point this will be released and there will be a podcast that exists where I'm on the other side of it. I'm like, that would freak me out, but I'm just going to not think about that. I'm just talking to my new friend and that's all. So it's Exactly. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's better <laughs> if you don't think about things, right? I, I, I try to keep as many things out of my brain as possible. That's yeah. You and me both. Um, it, so you've never done a podcast before. No, I'm a podcast virgin. So here we are. Well, you're starting at a low tier, so it's only up from here. <laughs> I don't know. I here. actually like, 
because I listened to so many podcasts a couple of months ago, maybe like a year ago, I put on my Instagram stories like, hey, what's your favorite art podcasts? Like, and like, I think Sound and Vision was the most recommended one. And I was like, and it was like, because I just wanted to see if there's, like, I was like, I know Sound and Vision. I know. What are the other ones? And they'd be like, Sound of, and there were, of course, a handful of other ones, but you were like the highly, the most recommended, everyone's favorite from my very small, you know, poll. So congratulations. That's nice to hear. <laughs> you know why? Low competition. There's not a lot out there. That's the only reason I started. I was like, there's not a lot of podcasts like the ones I enjoy listening to yeah, with artists. I know. I'm so glad you did. It's been really fun. I've loved. I listened to the Anthony Cudahy one um, today or yesterday. And it's just I don't know. It's just he's an artist that I love. I love his work. I've looked at his work for years, and it's fun to be like, oh, this is this is like where he grew up. You know, I don't know. It's really yeah, nice. yeah. So you're based in New Orleans. I am. Yeah, I've been here or for New Orleans. Almost. Uh, yeah. People. I mean, I say New Orleans. Um, as long as you don't say New Orleans, I think it's acceptable. Like, okay. Some people say Nolans, but not really people that live here. But as long as you don't say New Orleans, it's acceptable. Yeah. So yeah. I live here. I'm from Louisiana. I'm not from New Orleans. I'm from like a tiny town two hours from here. But I've been in New Orleans now for like almost two years and it's been good it's a great place i've spent some time there yeah not significant time there but yeah what i love it it's like for like mardi gras or like for like just like no playing friends? music oh right of tour, course you've tour. traveled with bands yeah of course yeah where that was what venues did you favorite, play in? god i can't remember the name it was this one it was like a bar and it had a small stage. It was a small venue. Yeah. I forget the name. I mean, this is like 23 years ago. Or right. So I like might that. not even know it. Um, yeah, it's probably not there anymore. But man, the crowd was great. It was just a great time. Yeah. And New Orleans has such a great music history. I know. That, you know, and I, I kind of came up on jazz. So, you know, jazz in the US, New Orleans is one of the hot spots. I mean, such a, and such a, sort of positive vibe of jazz there totally yeah it's it really is like it's really special and i think that growing up i this was the city you know like new orleans is the thing that i didn't realize until i moved other places is that there's it's the big city for a lot larger of an area than if you're on the like east coast or on the west coast and it's not that big but it like it's everyone's like when you're going to go and have a weekend in the city for so many hours of a, you know, circumference, it's New Orleans. And so yeah. it's this place that we, we like, came growing up, and it, I just always thought it was this magical city. And my high school best friends and I had a pact that we would all move here after we graduated co- uh, college and all live together, which we didn't do, but I followed <laughs> through, kind of. Um, you held up here in the Yeah, day. but it's just like a place that, like, yeah, the music is incredible, the food's incredible. It is a real city. I think, unfortunately, Airbnb <laughs> has taken over, so it's oh, yeah. a little less real and a little less affordable maybe now than it would have been 20 years ago, but it's still, it's all still there if you look for it. It's got big energy. It does. It does. Like creative. It's got... Um, Verve, yeah, I, I just, I really liked. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess when I was there, I was younger. I don't know if I could hang with the party vibe at this stage of my life. <laughs> I think that's for, you know, 
I don't that that could be every day. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I feel like every day that could be kind of. Oh, if you want to go, if you want to be out till four a.m. any night of the week, you can do it. There's twenty four hour bar. There's a twenty four hour bar that's a block from here. You know, but I don't go that much because I'm I'm, you know. I don't have kids yet, but somehow by, by the time by the time I crossed twenty seven, I was like, I like to be in bed by eleven, and so yeah. Um, right, yeah. So like, but Mardi Gras season is coming upon us uh, in the next like the I think that the first the first parades have already happened, and like here we go. So pretty much from pretty like a week from now until. Um, February 21st, I think is Mardi Gras this year. It's just going to be nonstop parties anytime you want. So I think everyone <laughs> saves up their energy. And yeah. now this is my first year that I'm planning to make like a full Mardi Gras costume. I didn't do it last year. I kind of, we had friends in town. I didn't really know what I was doing. But this year, I'm like, all right, I, I'm a local now. I am an artist. I have to prove myself. So I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But I have to make some kind of badass costume. Because on Mardi Gras Tuesday, have you ever been here for it, for Mardi Gras? Oh, no. I don't know if I can handle that energy. It Okay, you think you can't. And I always thought, like, Mardi Gras is this whole thing that is maybe not... It's maybe just Las Vegas. But there's something about actual Mardi Gras Tuesday that's so completely magical. Like, parades start at 8 in the morning, but there are walking parades that start at, like, six in the morning my friends were telling me about this parade called skull and bones where people walk through this historic neighborhood called the treme and knock on people's doors at 6 a.m saying wake up it's mardi gras morning and like knock on people's doors and they have these big like i don't know these huge things they're care i don't know it's just like it's all magical and there's so much i don't even know about and even though i'm from louisiana so i kind of i'm like living here and like being a part of the magic that still exists and like just getting to witness it because who knows how long it'll be here? Yeah, no, it's it. That's the incredible thing about it. I don't think there's anywhere in the United States like that. No, yeah, it's and it's maintained it somehow. You know, uh, yeah. a lot of places have a history, but it, it kind of changes. It hasn't maintained but the streets it, very well, but it's maintained the culture. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, marching bands through streets is a very particular thing. You know, like playing Dixieland, which is pretty great. But wait, where did you grow? How far away did you grow up? <clears throat> Like two hours from here. I was technically <clears throat> born in Baton Rouge and then lived there till I was 10. And then my parents moved us out to the country, a little town called mm-hmm. St. Francisville. So it's like population like 5,000-ish. And um, it's known for having a big state penitentiary there, not a great claim to fame, and a lot of plantations, <laughs> another not great claim to fame. But it's a very yeah. charming town. It's like It's like... It's like Quaintville. It's like so cute. So I grew up there. Um, what did they do? My mom is a painter. She taught me everything I know. Um, and an architect. Wow. And my sister's an architect. So it's like my mom, it's like we none of us fell far from the tree. And my dad is uh, has a real estate business. So, yeah. Okay. So there you go. You got real estate covered. You got creativity covered. What <laughs> yeah. did she paint like was, well... Was she most of the time doing architecture work or was it kind of like balanced? So I'm one of four. So when I was little, it was like my mom was mainly being, not mainly being a mom. I would say she somehow was being a mom of four while also like designing entire additions to houses and like whole houses from the ground up. Um, 
but she's had times where she's been pretty much a full-time architect but I think that you know she was mainly being a mom for a lot of that and then painting was something that she's always been she would call it maybe like a hobby painter but she's so talented there's always been a studio like a room in our house that she's always been able to paint in and like in our house now she's this beautiful studio she paints portraits and landscapes and like she when I was full like I have my first paintings my first oil paintings I did when I was four because my mom was like oh like the kids are bored it's a Saturday let's get the you know let's get the paint supplies out and my mom I think didn't have acrylics or watercolors so she just has me with like grocery store turpentine and oil paints just like (laughs) sitting there um so it's just like she's she's the best yeah yeah, I don't know how she had time. I mean, I have one, and it makes I know. getting in the studio tricky. She's how a she's a person that architect. like you meet like she's magnetic. She's I don't know. Everyone that meets her is like, how is she so wonderful? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> was she self taught, or did she go yeah. to take classes at school when she was studying? She's self taught. I imagine she's studying. She's just one of those people that just like has an eye. You know what I mean? Like she also was a fashion. She was a fashion designer. Is what she studied in school. And then she went back to architecture school and then she just always painted a little bit on the side. She's had like a show here. She had like one show when I was in high school, but she hasn't really shown before and she doesn't like have a website. (laughs) She just does amazing art. And I'm my goal. I really want to have a two person show with my mom at a gallery at some point. That's what I'm I'm going to. I asked her if she would and she said yes. So at some point I'm going to be like, all right, mom, you're my you're my main teacher so let's have a teacher student show yeah you're gonna pitch that somewhere i know a little two-person show yeah or at least a back room or something you know like a little space where she can show is does she work big or smaller she works or all kind of all yeah not massive yeah. she probably doesn't go above like 48 inches in either direction right. but like um but pretty big she's her portraits are like she's done a portrait of all four of us kids they all hang in the house it's nice. like it's great yeah so you obviously you were exposed to it early and in a way that was kind of celebrated i mean was it always something that you enjoyed doing or was the i did you go through that time of youth where it's like well i want to do something else i don't want to do architecture or you know art stuff Usually I, that happens. art's like the only thing i ever wanted i only ever wanted to be an artist but um when I was listening to Anthony Cudahy's um, interview, he was saying, like, when he got to college, he was like, oh, I should do something like graphic design and be responsible. And it's the same thing. I was like, I should do art management. But, like, until... But I always knew that, like, art was the only thing I was, like, really good at. Like, you know, in class, it was like, I don't know, my stick figure could always be a little bit better maybe than the next person. So I was like, oh, like, maybe that can do something but like my reading score was so much lower than theirs that i was like well i can't do that you know wait so what is what exactly is arts management oh right yeah i I thought it was gonna be a perfect combination of art and business and i was like this is perfect i'll learn about like galleries and stuff and there was one gallery class but the most of it was like non-profit like running like a a performing arts center which Oh, was, like, less what I was interested in. It's kind of a narrow scope of what you can do with a degree. 
I think it's very useful if it's exactly what you want to do. But if it's not exactly what you want to do, if you don't want to work in nonprofit and you don't want to do, like if you want to work in an art nonprofit, it's very cool that there's a major that exists for it. <laughs> but I what? ended up just double, ma- or I had a minor in business is what I did. That was my cop out. So. Gotcha. So, I mean, but were you making work at this time? Like, when did you start? I mean, obviously you started early, like messing around with paint, but when did you start to do it? Like in a more, you know, serious way, I guess. I majored it in school and I went to a school, I went to college at Charleston in South Carolina, where it was kind of like, if you wanted to paint a lot and you wanted to be in the studio a lot, the doors were open, you could do it. If you wanted to not you could still get at minimum a b you know so it was kind of like i went to a school where it was like choose your own adventure and i was like i love painting so i was in there a lot there was like a handful of us that would always be there um and i had this one professor 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 cliff peacock who was like the coolest guy and i just kind of uh, he was my I just wanted to be him, you know. He was this old right. guy that was like super like, rail thin, always. Even though, of course, it's a brand new art building, but he's always smoking a cigarette. And you're like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> it's 2012. How? Why do you have a cigarette in your mouth right. inside this brand Seems new art past building? The, uh, past the time when you were allowed to do that, right? Indoors. But it just made him a legend. <laughs> um, and yeah. his. <clears throat> teacher in grad school had been philip gustin right after philip gustin had had the big show where he had painted figures and gotten like annexed so he would cliff would tell us this story about sorry i'm kind of going off on a rand on a tangent no this is great okay sorry no this is a good tangent Uh, okay philip gustin tangent is good okay good sorry i was like (laughs) i'm not answering your question okay so anyway he he would be smoking a cigarette and telling the story about like when Philip Gustin had this show and I can't remember who it was, but someone came to the show and they, um, they saw the work and everyone was giving these bad reviews and like, why are you painting figures? Why this? Why that? This is his story, not the history books. And this guy came and and this critic and he said, you know what it's about, Philip? It's about freedom. And every time Professor Peacock would tell this part of the story, he'd be crying. And it's just this old crusty man that's like smoking a cigarette and crying. And you're like, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's the thing. You say it's like a tangent, but it's the little sort of peripheral things like that can really sell you on like yeah. a pursuit. You know what I mean? Because if like yeah. someone's that indebted and that emotionally invested in an experience like that, you think, wow, like I'm all in for this, you know? Yeah. It, he just like, I'm just really grateful for him. I actually sent him an email today to tell him how grateful I was for his teaching. Um, haven't talked to him in years, but um, but yeah, I, in school I took it a little seriously, and then after school I got a job at a magazine, and then um, and worked there with a magazine called Garden and Gun. It's a southern magazine. I'm sorry. What was it? <laughs> it's called Garden and Gun Magazine. It what? is. Um, wow. It is about southern it's quite culture. A combo. It's named after, I believe, a gay club, which is makes it way better. Um, oh wow! Didn't see that connection. Right, but I worked. I like after school, I got jobs, and I always just had a little room in my house that I could always paint in. And I, it was, it wasn't like full time until probably like twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. But between that, I've just been doing it on the side of whatever else I've been doing. 
Well, it sounds good. So you have the family support of mm-hmm. art, and then you have this good experience in school mm-hmm. with the teacher. I'm guessing, too, growing up, you know, adjacent to all that music, maybe you're a music fan or that you were into it. What well, was the music thing like? <clears throat> I mean, so I grew up, because I grew up two hours from New Orleans, like, and my dad actually hate my dad hates New Orleans. My dad thinks New Orleans is like... <laughs> Sin City. I don't know. So we didn't actually come here as much as I would have liked to. Um, you might have been right. <laughs> he is right. You might have right. seen some things that... <laughs> yeah. Um, I love music. I don't think that... I, I grew up listening to a lot of Shania Twain and Lyle Love It, but I don't know if that makes me a great music person, but... I, sure it does. I listen to Lyle a lot love of it. it. <laughs> if I had a boat um, playing a repeat <laughs> in our house, so... Uh, and yeah, a lot of like Elton John and, um, but I, I didn't grow up really listening to live music in any way, which I did. That's, I'm trying to catch up on that now. Yeah. So, um, when you were in school, when, when was it exactly when you had that professor who sort of, you know, where some things clicked, how, what stage were you at at that point? So I went to undergrad, I started in 20, no, 2009 and okay. I had him in 2010, and he, he I had a class with him every year through graduating in 2013. So um, by the end of it, he was like my like I chose him as my mentor. So right. um, so yeah, he the last painting I did in school was this one of this like it was from a trip I took to Coney a summer I spent like living in New York, and I went to Coney Island and had took painted the big wheel it was just as like these people in the water and the big ferris wheel in the background and um at the last like crit or whatever he was like by the way this painting is the this is you finally made a good painting i've been waiting for you to make a good painting the whole time you've been here you made one good job and i was like oh, it's i did it so um, it was the wonder wheel <laughs> it was it that was it that beautiful magical ferris wheel so um so yeah he 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 wasn't really in my life after that but i feel like i had this person i had my mom that i wanted to like my art in high school in middle school and elementary school and then i had cliff that i wanted to impress then and then since then i guess i just have still my mom i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that I imagine those experiences kind of like live on your shoulder in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's what school does, I think, is, well, for good or for bad, it puts angels and demons on your shoulders and that, that sort of talk to you for the rest of your artistic life in a way. You know right. I mean? Totally. Totally. They motivate you and they question you. And, and at the end of the day, they sort of tell you to just keep going. Ideally. Exactly. Well, the place where I got the most demons from school <laughs> um, is that... I ended up, I um, went to grad school, but I dropped out <laughs> because there was too many demons on my shoulder and I couldn't oh, make really? work anymore. Do, where was it? Or do you not want to say? I'll say, because it wasn't about the school. It was about my brain, I think. Uh, it was at SUNY Purchase, which is, I think, a lot of great, I think that's an amazing undergrad program. And I think that the graduate program when I was there was poorly funded and mm-hmm. just like, there was no there was there was no faculty for the graduate program so it was like hard to like there weren't any resources you know so it was just yeah it's um, not a plus to not have faculty <laughs> it's kind yeah, of part of the reason right you have you no anytime you want to 
talk to a professor, you're borrowing them from undergraduate. So it feels like, yeah. so no under no professor has time to like give you a studio visit because they have to go back to their s- studio in the city and go paint, which makes sense. Like in their position, I wouldn't spend my unpaid time giving crits right. to grad students, but it makes for a poor setup because you just are always borrowing. So, um, but yeah, that time, that experience was really hard for me. Um, and I came away with, I still, I used to only really paint portraits. And then once I went into grad school, that one semester, I got so scared out of painting people that I'm only now adding people back in after five years. So wait, how did you, how did you get to that program? You know what I mean? Because that's a pretty far jump from, you know, Louisiana. And it's not New York City. It's not like you went to SVA or something. You know, it's a little outside. Right. How'd you come Um, up with that? So when I was working at that magazine, I was like, I, at some point I was like doing a lot of painting on the side of my job. I had like a full-time job and then I had this like crazy volunteered thing that was taking up all my time and I was painting and I was like I need to what do I want the most I want to be a painter so I decided to apply to grad school and like I asked all my old professors I asked friends I was like how do I what schools do I apply to and they were all like I don't know like no one everyone was like uh I heard Temple is good um maybe something in New York and it was just like no one it was just like everyone was kind of out of the the out of practice yeah, not not committal as far as like this is the place where you'll go where you'll get this or yeah there wasn't yeah. like a grad school track in the school that i went to it wasn't like oh okay cool we're gonna like mentor you and help you tell you where to go it was like oh you want to apply to grad school like well i didn't go to i haven't been in grad school in 40 years so i don't know what it's like now and i was like oh wait someone help me <laughs> so i applied to like 10 schools and i just i was deciding between boston and suny purchase and I had a lot of professors that almost all my professors had gone to BU. And I had some friends that had gone to BU. Be- so, and I got in and they really liked me and they liked my work. And I was like, well, I can't go to BU because I know too many people that have gone there. So I have to do the alternative because I have to be right. different. So yes. I decided to be different and go to SUNY Purchase. Um, but That's I just fine. chose it because I liked the artists they had on staff. I just liked, like, I love Matt Bollinger's work. I love Beth Livensberger's work. Um, Julian, I'm blanking on his name because he was on sabbatical when I was there. But there was like some really good painters that were at that school whenever I applied. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, everything happens for a reason, right? You're doing good. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy that I dropped out of school, and like I, I think everyone doesn't need grad school. You know, like maybe yeah. I'll go back one day, but I just think that grad school is a really beautiful experience if it's good. And I think it can be a really scarring experience if it's bad and cost you a lot of money. So I just think that like it is, I'm happy. I'm really proud of like the decision that I made, but I also like, I hope that, I don't know. Like, what do you think about grad school? Like, it's a weird, what do you think about it? And where did you go? It's, it's, it's conditional upon the person. So there's, there are some people who need it and they need that time. They need that focus. They need the input and there's some people who just don't need it at all. They need to do their own thing. 
there's some people who need supportive environment mm-hmm. to really have that time and to blossom and there's some people who really need to be tested they need to right. they need pressure you know what i mean so i think the it's hard at that stage when you're an undergraduate to really know but if you're lucky you will pick a place that will fit your what you need really you know what i mean right and yeah that is the best because uh, i've seen for. people who who show up at a place I mean, when I was in graduate school, there were people there who were just, they should not have been there. They weren't ready for that pressure, so they just, you know, disengaged, basically. Yeah. And there are, there's some people, I think, I mean, I teach not at um, in the city, and, you know, I've had grad students who you feel like they need more pressure. They need more, like a bigger community. So, you know, I mean, I toured Art Institute of Chicago for grad school when I was looking for grad schools, and... You know, I have so many friends and people I know have went there and have done great and loved it or whatever. But for me, when I went there, I just knew that it was too big. There were too many people. I totally, I have a lot of friends that have gone there and it feels like that they have the same thought. Like, it's big and you kind of get lost in it and you kind of want, like, to have, I don't know, you're you're there for the conversations and the, that, and you're there to, like, have these professors be in your life and in your studio so the more you are the more you're having to like compete for time you know yeah but there's some people who are very outgoing and they can go to a place like that and they can be vocal and they can grab the teachers and bring them in at that stage of my life i was way too shy i didn't i wasn't going to be like hey you know i wasn't going to be that proactive plus i was going to go hang out and play music the whole time (laughs) so i thought because i had friends who were musicians in chicago so i thought why go to grad school if I'm going to just sit around and play music <laughs> the whole time? That's so really I went somewhere though. else and then I ended up joining a band where I went anyway. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't matter. Either way, I was going to do it, I guess. Yeah. I think... But yeah, grad school is not for everyone. It's just sad if it's not for you and you pay for it and right. you figure it out when you're done. I think that if grad school is free, by all means, go, no matter where it is. But I think that if it costs money... And that's that's why I made the decision is that I had I had money I had like savings and money from this long story thing and I was like okay if I stay another semester I'm going into debt and I have to get a loan if I drop out right now I have enough money to pay for like six months of rent and get a studio and I was like I think that I'm so what I kept thinking was I was like okay grad school is for you to go and get taken apart and put back together like that's the whole point is you get stripped down and like it's like going to the army and that's what I signed up for I was like great like I'm in for it and when I got there and it felt like everyone in the program there was just kind of a lot of turmoil I felt like people were everyone was kind of going through their own stuff and I was like if I get put back together here I think I'm gonna end up not liking the way I come out so I was like, right. I think that I would rather heal somewhere else. And if I want to go to grad school, I'm going to just do this again later. But I was like, I have enough money to move and not worry for like a month or two. Um, or no, for a few months. Cause, oh, no, my money was from I got hit by a car. That was it. I had money from <laughs> this bike accident. My, the first thing that popped in my mind was like, maybe she hit the lottery. <laughs> No, it was. I was like, "What was this money from?" Opposite. I couldn't remember, and I was like, "Oh yeah, the money was from I got hit by a car." Goodness. And um, I was fine. You okay? Okay, good. I'm. I mean, we'll see. The brain maybe is rattled, but um, it was mainly money from my own insurance policy that paid me, 
So I, see. I don't have to feel bad about it. I can just say, I'm glad I was paying for car insurance. Um, so I had that money and I was like, well, the rent in Richmond is $400 for a apartment and $200 for my studio. And oh my, my sister lives there. So I'm going to go to Richmond and then I'm going to like heal myself and then I'm going to see how I feel. And I got healed. It was great. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and good on you for like recognizing it before. It's not easy to do that. Like sometimes you just go through the program and at the end of it, you're like, you know what? But I mean, you were savvy enough to see that it wasn't lining up. Yeah. So you saved yourself some, you know, some pain and misery or like time wasted or whatever. So, yeah. So you got out. So what was the plan whenever you left? So, well, when I was leaving, all the professors were like, so where are you going to go? Are you going to move into the city? You're going to like go to go to New York? And I was like, I don't have a support network in New York. And I'm so sad. I've like hit my first, I hit my first depression that I'd never experienced. All I was doing was taking baths and watching Gilmore Girls in the bathtub, like with <laughs> Gilmore Girls set up on the tub. I mean, on the toilet. So I was like, I think I'm not okay. Um, I need to go somewhere where I know someone. So the plan was like, go to Richmond, get a job, get a studio, uh, stop crying so much and hang out with my sister who was like my best friend and um, so yeah that was the only plan and then I got there and yeah got a job at like an art store and then like an art center and I was like I think my challenge was like okay let's see like maybe I want to move to New York one day but for now let's see like Richmond's a cool city I wanted to go to VCU was my plan I actually wanted to apply to VCU the next year because it's such an amazing program yeah. um but then I ended up just scaring myself out of applying and then I just never did. Um, but then I got to know all the people that went to that school and they're great. Now they're my friends. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, and, and you were painting while you were there. Yeah. I had a studio the whole what's, time. What's your work like at this point? I was painting like, a lot of, um, have you ever been to Richmond? I, I don't think I have. I mean, not. Yeah. Definitely not the art school. I've never been there, but um, I don't know if I've ever been through Richmond. I'm surprised it wasn't on your music tour. And I kind of feel like it has like, well, wait, what kind of music, what kind of band did you have? It was like indie rock, instrumental, cello, trombone, upright bass. It was kind of like post-rock. Richmond is a big punk scene. So maybe... We played with punk people though. (laughs) Yeah. We had, yeah, because the, the woman who played cello in our band was in like a this legendary Bay Area band called Spitboy. It was like an all-girl punk rock yeah. band, and she was connected with all... I mean, we recorded with Bob Weston and Steve Albini's studio, so we were wow. like definitely in that yeah. crowd. Yeah. It was weird. We were like the more... I mean, we would play like with bands like Arabon Radar, which were like these noise punk... That's so You cool. know, but we were more gentle-sounding. But yeah. we often got you know played in punk places and stuff. I played in... Like in D.C., you know, Black Hat and stuff like that. Like all the... 930 and those kind of venues but yeah i don't think I've, i don't think we ever went to richmond well i guess if you're going to dc it's like richmond's right there i kind of feel like you wouldn't do both you know like in general and those cities are so close but richmond is a funny city but it um it's beautiful and there's this beautiful river there um so i was mainly painting the river because it was like where i was like i would go and walks down to the river like every other day because it was like 
I just needed to be in like nature. And when I got there, a friend of a friend was curating me into the show at a gallery called Gilder Gallery in Denver. And so it was like kind of nice because I was leaving, but I knew I had this, I had like six months to make like two paintings for the show. So it was this kind of like nice thing where I didn't have much to do, but I knew I was still going to be in a cool, like a gallery I was very excited about in this cool show. Um, and those ended up being both paintings about swimming, which is mainly what I was painting then. So mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of water. I think that water is a very like healing thing. So I think that I was just thinking about that a lot. And what about the, the look like this, you know, the way that you were painting, is it attuned to what you're doing now or was it much different in the way that you're painting? I think I've almost always painted the same way. It's always, almost always been like chunky brushstrokes inspired like the same artists that I loved when I was 18 are the same artists that I love now I've just added more to it like I've always been inspired by David Park and Fairfield Porter and you know Hockney and like these like more so with the brush strokes more like Park and Porter because like I just love that loot and I like cats like, you know so I think that I've always been kind of trying to paint the same in the same loose but still descriptive way. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I would imagine, some Matisse mm-hmm. influence. Did you like Lois Dodd? When I did you find her Lois work? I love Lois Dodd, yeah. I didn't Was find it later, though? I found her work later. I did, too. I found her work, I want to say, probably in, like, 2017 or something. Um, I have, like, a book of hers. I mean, she's just... What an icon. I mean, the fact that she's, like, always painting from life and there's that, like... Do you have... I don't know if you've seen her book. There's that be- there's this amazing photo of her, like, in her rain jacket with her, yeah. um, you know, with, with her, like, paint stand. You're just like, God, you're, like, so like a boss. Yeah, I was lucky enough to study with Catherine Murphy and I feel like she's on that oh. level of just, like, a legend. Wow. Material. That's what a... What a... I can't believe you got to study with Catherine Murphy. That's amazing. Yeah, she was great. I also wondered you know and seeing your work and thinking about your work if you were ever into like graphic novels and stuff like that oh. I can imagine I've, you being into that I've like I've read a few and I've like had a few but I can't I don't know that I can even like list I, I I'm not well versed in graphic novels but I I like them I just they're not a huge part of my repertoire but I should add more to them what what, what were you thinking of like what made you say that because I love that there's kind of like, um, well, there, there's like little details in some of the work that I feel like has a sensibility. Well, at least personally, like some of the graphic novel stuff that I'm really drawn to, which is like of a specific time period, basically. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, late 90s or like all 90s, actually, you know, like Optic Nerve and stuff like that. Adrian Tomine. But there's, a, I don't know, sometimes there's a certain light or detail or there's kind of like a quiet like you often well in my representation I, I, it seems like you notice quiet things that are sort of about there's like a pensive look at either interiors and the exterior light or I don't know it there's a sensibility it's hard to verbalize it but yeah you know it it's kind of like it just popped in my head as something it's like oh this some of the vibe of this reminds me of some of the, but not you know, mainstream graphic, like ones that are like super f- famous that, right? you know what I mean? Like comic-y things. Well, it's more sophisticated than that. Now you have to give me a whole list of all of these after this. Cause I like, I'm very interested. Cause I, I, 
I love there's a couple of graphic novels that I've read and I can't think of their names right now that I've loved but I it's just not been something that I've like that I that I have around so I want to buy some books so send me some lists <laughs> yeah definitely and you know it's funny because I had my my sort of area of of stuff that I like like a few that I was really into and I would go deep into those but a few years back I was on a Lynn Ward Prize jury and a Lynn Ward Prize is, goes out to like the best graphic novelist or best book of that year and so I got hundreds of graphic novels sent to me that year to jury to like to review and so you know there's so many that I didn't remember them all but you know I looked through all of them and it, it's so diverse and there was so many examples of like really cool stuff that I was like wow I, I never would have known that this stuff was out there you know it's it's a pretty rich yeah. environment but yeah i'll share some stuff with you okay you that sounds be. amazing i'm excited yeah i think that i mean i because i love i love reading but i mainly listen to like i listen to a lot of books because i'm often i listen to them when i'm right, working we work right we work like visually yeah. right and it's then hard. but like whenever i'm learning i'm a visual learner so it's like i'm also i'm wondering i feel like maybe graphic novels have this thing that i'm now realizing i should have more of them in my life because i would be able like the story would like probably be clicking and resonating with me even more than the words because to me the best books are the ones where i'm painting the picture in my head so why not see the picture while i read so okay well cool definitely and there were some there's some graphic novels that you know the story's okay I get through the story and, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's an exceptional story, but, but the visuals are so great that it kind of yeah. sells it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, you could have movies like that where the plot, the character study is like, okay, but visually they're stunning, you know? I mean, was yeah. cinema something that you were into, you know? Is that <coughs> something that was an influence? I would say, <coughs> like, I've gotten more into it the more in life that I've the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten into it, but I wasn't, yeah. I haven't been, wasn't really very well versed in it. Like I, I recently got criterion collections and we've been like re-educating nice. myself and all the things that I missed. Um, but I mean, I love movies, but I think unfortunately I love a lot of like, um, like wedding planner, you know, like I, <laughs> I don't have right, a lot right. of like, uh, Recently, I've been watching more movies where I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I, we watched Tom Popo. Have you seen that movie? It's this No, beautiful, I haven't even heard of it. I want to say it's, it was on the Criterion Collection. So now I sound so cool referring to something like that. Um, but it's this beautiful like Japanese movie of this woman that wants to open this ramen shop. And it's just, it's really nice watching a movie that just is since, such a sensory overload. So beautiful. Yeah. And, um... And I also love movies that are done in, um, what is it called? What's the type of color that is t- Technicolor? Technicolor? Yeah. yeah. Like Wizard of Oz Those are amazing. So, um, yeah. But I wouldn't say that movies, I would say I love them, but I, I'm not educated in them as much as I would like to be. Yeah, I kind of dropped off. I mean, during college, there was a place that, I mean, not the date, but there was the, they had VHS tapes that were like a quarter a piece, like a quarter for one night to rent it, like the classics. So over the summers, I would just get four a night, you know, and like watch all these movies. But since then, I've kind of tapered off a little bit. But you know, I was looking at and looking at your work, I was thinking, oh, you know, like Wes Anderson, like people like that. Oh, I could well, imagine yeah. would be in your wheelhouse. I recently watched. Um, 
What's his most recent movie? That French Connection? Is that it? French Dispatch, right? Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one. Is it good? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I don't really know if it's good because I want, I watched it. I'd had um, a little too much edibles when I watched it. And, <laughs> and my husband, so like, we're watching this movie. My husband's like sitting next to me. And the whole time, I just keep pausing it. I'm like, oh my God, it's perfect. It's the most, per- like, I think I took... 40 or 50 photos of it when I was watching it because it's so every shot is so constructed that it's just yeah. incredible but I have no idea what the movie's about because I just kept pausing it and I was just obsessing over like look at that touch of red down there and then that little thing and he constructs entire sets I mean I think in my next life I'm gonna I want to make movies like him because I think it's just such a visual pleasure to to watch his movies um yeah yeah I find that uh, sometimes when I watch movies, it's like, you know, being a visual person, like we, like to your point, sometimes you'll focus more on just the look of things and you kind of tune out to the plot or whatever. We just watched uh, that Knives Out, the Glass Onion one. And I was like, I was just looking at all the paintings in the background and being like, well, that's, I think that's supposed to be a fake Cy Twombly or that's like a fake Rothko. And I couldn't stop thinking that. I had the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying like, to I don't identify think this is what all I'm the artists to be doing. Right, right. I was like, is that like there were some obscure ones too where I was like, oh, is that a fake that person? I was like, no, how would they know if that's that? Yeah, anyways, it was you know, I was tuning out to the plot sometimes because I'm I'm like, damn, I'm missing some important information here because I'm like, is that a Matisse or is that supposed, to, you know? Yeah. I feel like there was one and I this was I need to go back and find the screenshot of this, but like I feel like there was one that was a portrait of the dude in like a Lucian Freud style or something, you know, yeah, or like, I was, was like, definitely there. <clears throat> I was like, wait, is that a portrait of him in the style of someone else? Like that, like they really, whoever did those paintings for that had a great time. Yeah, no, I, I, that's what I said after the movie to my wife. I was like, you know, so they paid someone to make those paintings and they were just like doing fake or like, you know, knock off, not knock off, but like in the style of, you know, right. Like there was the Francis Bacon ones that were just like, so Francis Bacony, but they weren't. You know, it's funny, right? But and then of yeah, course like the Mona Lisa. Visual, yeah. <laughs> oh right, you know, and that was the real one. <laughs> and I was like sitting there being like, "Well, what's different about that?" And I was like, "Is it that high key? Is it that saturated?" And I was like, "I don't think it's that saturated." And you know, I was sitting there <laughs> wasting time, try- <laughs> like trying to recall the exact palette of the Mona Lisa. Right. Yeah. Like her smile doesn't out. look like that. And you're like, wait. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know if there's that many cracks in the oil on the real one. And I was like, but it was behind glass. So, yeah. Anyways. So, uh, yeah. Cinema, graphic novel. What uh, What are some of the things that you, I don't know, because I, the, the interiors that you're painting, like a lot of the images, they look like they would be actual places. I don't know how much is invented how much is just from life you know not that it matters but i guess i got you here i'll ask you (laughs) (laughs) You i mean it's fine if it's invented it's fine if you you know if they're from like family you know like a picture all these pictures on the wall in your family's house or something who knows yeah i mean i think that it depends on the individual piece i think that they all some of them are directly taken from my home most of the ones in the show that i just did were 
I think almost all of them were from my actual house, except one was from a hotel that we stayed at on our, like, belated honeymoon in Italy. But, um, but, like, they don't, if I showed you the scene that it was painted from, you wouldn't recognize it, you know? So, it it starts like that. Right. But, of course, I mean, I've, I think that maybe this small thing that's in the work is that I've always been a renter and I have this idea of what I would do if I own a home and all the amazing things I would do to it. I mean, that's not what the paintings are about, but I think in the back of my head, like I get to make this scene in my home, which is often like this just moment when it just looks, you know, I I set my cup somewhere or I walk by and I'm like, Oh wow. That I'm just walking by this thing, this accidental still life that is, beautiful and it's set up and that's kind of what strikes me at first um but then when I get into the studio with that I'm like oh the wall doesn't have to be this yellowish white thing it can be this rich dark green I can play with that you know I can add this wallpaper and it's just really fun to kind of take a moment or take a section of my home or just take these objects that I like in the paintings all the objects in them Almost all of them have some, and like there could be a you know I could write an essay about each of the things and the paintings about the memories that are with them. So it's really fun to me to like puzzle them all together. But when it comes to the actual scene itself, that's on the canvas. I get to I that's where I get to invent. You know. Right. Yeah. So whenever you you know hang a show of this work, and let's say like there's a couple of paintings of the interior of what I'm assuming could be your studio. I mean, is it, are you trying to, are you exploring painting and visual kind of like, um, ideas through the vehicle of just your personal experience and places around you almost as like a, you know, like a plein air painter in a way, or are you interested in the viewer, um, having that relationship with your you know, the imagery that comes from your personal life or the other thing that I really noticed, your your paintings seem to all be about light and color. Mm-hmm. Like light is a huge thing in all the paintings, like mm-hmm. whether it's shadows or light or night or, you know, it's it's a big part of the way that you're painting these. So what's the, or maybe it's not even, you know, uh, there's not a metric, but like what's the algorithm of like, what you're making and what's what's driving you to make these images and then how you relate that to the viewer what do you want the viewer to experience out of these scenes you know what i mean and right. what they bring to it i think i think as far as how the viewer feels i think i can't believe that there are even our viewers so i think i don't even know how to like I can't believe that people want to look at the work that I make. Like, I think it's it's still baffling to me that people see the work and feel anything. So I think I now have thoughts only from what people have told me that they've experienced from looking at the work, but I don't really know. Like, I really am just painting my own... I'm really just painting my own house or my own studio. And, like, I'm... For me, for me, once the work is done, it kind of is this line drawn between like the the struggle and the thing and the, the the whatever and then once it's done it kind of solidifies as this object and then I feel this emotional parting from it and what happens mm-hmm. after that when someone sees it it's like 
oh, that's crazy. That is something that's in my past now. Does, does, I don't know if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Okay, yeah. So, so I think I, can, as I can't really talk about how I want the viewer to feel because I just don't know <clears throat> how anyone could like look at these silly things that are in my house or my studio and feel anything, but I'm so glad that they might. Um, but the things that I'm inspired by are really just... I think that I... Light is really a huge part of what excites me. And to me, light is what enchants scenes often in my home. And when I see the light streaming in or I see... There's something about the shadows and light that can create... You know, the golden hour is something people talk about a lot when it comes to photography, especially. And it's cliche, but it's a real thing. It's a real moment in a day when light is when entire the entire room that you know so well becomes completely different and all of a sudden it feels like you're in a movie it feels like you're like in this in this just magical space that is um you're like nostalgic for the present all of a sudden and i think that i get right. i've had that feeling and i think that i painted it a few times and i really enjoyed the challenge of trying to communicate that feeling um right and as i've gotten on i've added more things to it it's not just about that feeling but then it's about like the studio paintings are mainly inspired by matisse i think that my studio paintings are to me a form of doing a self-portrait and i really like doing them as a way of like i really want to i don't know 20 years from now be able to find all of these studio paintings and put them in a space and be able to have this portrait of not just how i was painting but paintings of all of the paintings that I was doing over all of these years I just think it's just like a really beautiful snapshot of like this is what's in my head this is the space I was in this is what I was making this is what I was drinking <laughs> this is what I was eating yeah um this was my toothpaste <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so I I think I I think I my world is very small in the way that like my studio my life it's all like a very tiny world and I think at some point I need to make it a little bit bigger but I'm entertain I'm entertaining myself in my little life and then I go to my little studio and I paint little things in my little life and I don't know the fact that anyone sees any of that and feels anything from it is just weird to me because I'm like oh like <laughs> my tiny little apartment is like a mess um but it's really fun to paint I don't know I don't I'm not sounding very eloquent eloquent about no i know that, exactly what you mean it, in a way it's kind of like a, a diaristic approach to making you know it's like a diary in a way but or, or if it's poetry about your day-to-day -day existence that you're you feel there's a poetic moment and you write it down and then you sh someone else reads it and you're like why well, I, I don't know if they can relate to the poetics of this experience that i had because it was my experience but uh, ideally no matter how personal the work is there's probably something universal about it. There's something that people can engage with in that sort of intimacy of a moment of a reflection of some, one's life, you know? And really, no matter how big or how small that experience is, I mean, it's relatable because people can relate to, you know, waking up and sitting down for a cup of coffee in front of a pile of books, or they can relate to, you know, war or, mm -hmm. you know, 
global conflict because it's part of our existence, you know? And I think to me, the work in the color exploration, the feel of light and color in it, it feels like beauty is a big part of it, you know? And, you know, to that point about golden hour and stuff, I mean, that's, there's something undeniable. I think, and most humans, when they see an epic sunset, they pause, Hmm. you know, there's a sort of, undeniable awe of certain aspects of like nature and landscape in our existence that is universal you know that and that's probably where i mean in my work it's about the world around us too and i think you know it's not always personal sometimes it is sometimes it's not but you hope that people you know it resonates with people in one way or another you know it's not going to resonate with everyone but you kind of have to do you you know i yeah, you said that so much. This is why you're good at this, because you, you took my rambles, and then you made that out of it, and that sounds great. I want that on my book jacket. <laughs> All right, um, can you, are you going to hire me for your... Yeah, you're hired. You're, you got the right. job. Uh, you got the next intro. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I think it is... Um, I don't know. I think that to me... I mean, I I think that if painting wasn't now my job I don't think that I would be like I love painting I don't I think that now we both have this funny challenge where we have this thing that we love and then now we need to make we need to keep making things so I think it's the natural inspiration that I would have had if I was a painter like my mom who was a hobby painter who painted only when she was struck by inspiration which is how I've painted until the last maybe three years if I was painting like my mom, I would have maybe probably made a third of the paintings that I make because I wouldn't have a deadline. So I wouldn't be needing to figure out this painting. I wouldn't be, you know, pulling my hair out, trying to figure out how to make this work. So like, I'm inspired by my own life and I'm inspired by the little things around me, but now I'm kind of needing to find moments more often than maybe naturally I do. And I think right. that that's where then it goes from coming upon this moment of being struck to then the secondary thing is this like puzzling that I do where I kind of have an idea and then now I get to kind of construct and puzzle together this thing. So it kind of comes from, that's kind of the other option is if it's not from something that naturally happened, it's me drawing things and then I kind of get to pull in like oh like I think that I want I think that I want to have this object that's been important to me lately what and then I kind of get to build a scene around that yeah it's kind of a a nice idea that I mean if you take it on the, the ground level of like oh well this idea of maybe like well I paint when I'm inspired and when there's a moment of beauty I'll capture that mm-hmm. and then that that's how I would work and then it would just wait for that and then if you have to like work to find it then that's kind of a drag because you know oh I just want to wait until I have those but conversely there's some there's a beauty to trying to find the poetics in the day-to-day or the humdrum or finding you know that diamond and rough as opposed to just sitting there and waiting for it to like come to you you know and then if you're good at that or if you learn to find that in life then you can also find moments that are problematic like you know going through struggle or sickness or like different things and find the beauty in those moments or find something Mm -hmm. out of it that you can sort of turn positive 
you know, because everything has its ups and downs. You know what I'm saying? So totally. I don't know. I think if anything, like I think the noble pursuit of like being creative and making art or something, because I feel like once in a while I have to stick up for it, you know, because I believe in it is that it can make you that person. Like it can, hmm. it can make you more empathetic or more understanding or more willing to, to search out for something positive and maybe something that is a negative, you know, I don't know if that's a stretch or not. But. No, I think that, I think that that's what I would hope is the, I would hope that that's the driving force in my life. And I think that that is, I don't know, that's so beautiful. I love the way you said that, you know, and I, I think the funny thing is, um, I was talking to my friend, uh, do you know the painter Celeste Rapone? She's, she's a Chicago painter. She shows at Marion Boski and Corbett versus Dempsey. And I don't know. Okay. She's, she's great. Um, you'd love her work. Um, but <clears throat> I was talking to her this morning on the phone because we were just catching up after like, how's life? What's up? And I was, she's been doing these really long deadlines for an upcoming solo show she has. And I was telling her, she, she was saying like, oh yeah, I've been in the studio seven days a week for like almost a month. And I was like, if I do that, be, like, my brain breaks like I, I yeah. and this hap- this has happened to me many times where I think what I need is to go into the studio but because my life is my work and joyful moments are what inspires me if I actually stop living and stop being present in life outside of the studio I can't paint not only like I'm unhappy I'm sad like I actually have no muse because my muse is those moments so for right. my job, I am required to love my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> yeah, no, like totally. going to like, like one of the paintings in this last show was like a dinner. My husband and I went to, to Keen Steakhouse in New York with his family. And it's like, I didn't think I was working. But like, ironically, this splurge steakhouse dinner is a is work for me in this weird backwards way because it gave me joy going in this beautiful space being surrounded by all this history and like these amazing paintings and i felt so inspired that it's it's you never know when you're doing work that's referencing your own life and yours is the same way like you're also like you're also painting images from your own life it's like you kind of never know when you need to be present and you never know when leaving the studio that day is the most productive thing you could do Totally. Yeah. That's, that's really, it's hard for people to understand that who aren't artists too, because you know, like traveling or taking breaks or like seeing different things is so important for certain people. I mean, there's just the things you have to do. Like I have to exercise or if I don't have exercise, I'll feel like depleted when I go to the studio. Like I need to take time out of the studio to take care of myself, to give myself energy when I go back into the studio. So it's, it's like, yeah, you really, and it's advantageous if you happen to be compelled by things like, like you're saying that are, you know, beautiful or like night or, you know, cause some people are drawn to, you know, the dark things, which is valid. And some people have to talk about that. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I mean, like look at David Lynch, you know, or, or, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or Stephen King or whatever. And they find that beauty and telling a story that's like dark and twisted or whatever, but they have to live in that, you know, or like, someone who's like a CSI investigator or something. I mean, the, you know, so there's different strokes for different folks, but you do have to listen to your own, um, you know, 
inner voice of like understanding what you need mm-hmm. to be creative and to keep making that work because it's so easy to like derail and just not make work. It's, it's easy to get off the path. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To get bumped off because it's not an easy endeavor. Totally. I, yes. And like when I was in grad school for my one semester, a lot of teach the crits I would kept getting were people wanting me to go to a dark place. They were like, like what? <laughs> literally, the dark side. Yeah, literally, yeah. one of the teachers was like, "Didn't you say you had like a sibling that died? We should talk about that in the work." And I was like, "Why would I want to live in a studio surrounded by the saddest things in my life? That sounds like how would I be able to come to work every day and know that I'm going to have to face that every day? Like, I want yeah. to, if I'm going to have to live." Like the way that I've thought about my studio and especially when I've been in a very unhealthy mindset is that my studio is like my physical skin. (laughs) Sounds kind of, but it's like, it feels like it really is like, this is my own like flesh that's somehow covering the, it's like, it feels like it's coming like not always even by choice, but it's like, it sometimes feels like it's like ripped off of me and like put there. And it's like, if I'm going to have to go through this process of like mining my own emotions for work, which no matter what you paint, that's what you're doing. It's going to be my best memories. It's going to be my favorite things. Cause I want to love being in here. I want to, I want to come into my studio and feel joy when I come here and not feel. Right. And like, I think I applaud the people that are brave enough to be able to face their demons in their studio. Yeah, but sometimes it's not even a choice though. Sometimes they have yeah, to. I know. Like that's they so need true, right. to address the elephant in the room. Like that teachers, I think that's bad teaching because that's basically saying I need drama to feel connected to this work mm-hmm. and your work doesn't have that drama. So why don't you just face the drama that you've had in your life? And that's not for everyone. Like not everyone is creative in that sense or needs to mine that territory. Maybe you've already come to terms with any drama that you've had and you want to celebrate you know, so a good teacher will see that and say, okay, well, what is, what are you celebrating? How are you doing it? How can you do it better? And not just saying like, well, why don't you bring me the kind of service I need to engage in your work? You know what right. I mean? Like a good teacher can kind of like, even if it, they're not that compelled by the medium or the look of it, they can still put that aside and say, oh, well, here's maybe what will make this connect more or better or get closer to what you really want it to be you know i just think it's that person just wants drama in their life it's a but that's like that some people grow up in an environment where they feed off drama totally do you know what i mean so they'll probably if they're creative people they'll probably be an actor in roles that are like that or they'll create paintings that look like that or make music that's like punk or something and it's great it can be great but not everyone needs to make punk rock right (laughs) right god I can already tell you're a very good teacher. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The fact that you're able to like hear that and identify that, you're able to even be a teacher for the teachers because I just feel like it is, I don't know. Be, I can't imagine, I've done a tiny bit of teaching and it is hard to figure out how to be malleable like for all of your students because your students, every single one needs a different thing. It's not like math. Like, you know, it's not, you're not teaching everyone how to learn one thing. You're teaching everyone how to be themselves. And it's like, you're a therapist, essentially. And it just, it's... You just have to listen there. Like, you have to care. I've had so many bad teachers who just don't care about your story. They just look at what you did and be like, well, here's why I don't like that. 
Right. You know what I mean? And that's just like bringing your own agenda into someone else's studio, which, and actually, to be honest, sometimes that's useful because sometimes you need to get real, like just to get someone else's opinion on why they think it's crap. Not that it's crap, but just, oh, okay, there's people out there who aren't interested in this. But And like, I need to know that that opinion exists and see how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, it's facing adversity. I mean, sometimes you got to, you know, you, you got to hear the criticism just to think about it. It doesn't mean you have to change what you're doing. But unfortunately, there's people out there who aren't confident enough and they hear that criticism and they're like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> but then others will say if you're that, you know, um, malleable or like, you know, that that is probably not for you, I guess. Mm-hmm. You got to have a little bit of thick skin to be able to hear other people why other people don't like what you're doing not that it feels good but you know but uh, honestly i think uh, to be a good teacher you just have to listen and think about what they're trying to do and not come from your angle Mm -hmm. you know exactly so you know it's just like talking to all artists that i do every week everyone has a different story you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's that's what's so interesting about people it would suck if everyone's work looked just like my favorite painter's work (laughs) <laughs> it would suck so much right you know? and like it's yeah like, it's great, so much more again? interesting this way right like imagine your favorite record and then every band that you listen to all the music ever made was just kind of like that over and over again <laughs> it would be awful you know it'd be so sad life, i know I sometimes i have to have a really shitty meal to like appreciate how good the good <laughs> ones are <laughs> And sometimes they're really Do shitty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are shitty for you meals, and then there are actually shitty meals. Because I was gonna say sometimes like a bad, like a tech, a quote unquote bad, but actually good fast food burger is great. But then a bad bad meal, yeah, does just make the good meal shine. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, um, I, I'll tell you one thing. I I had food poisoning one time, right before we were playing a gig in Louisville, and I know it came from this restaurant because we all ate the same dish and we all got it. And I will never forget that night in my life. It was awful, oh. but it was memorable. <laughs> but And you finished the show. Like, it happened. It, it. Yeah, we played the show. We started feeling sick before the show. Then we actually played the show. It was a short set. And then we went straight to the bathroom afterwards. <laughs> it was brutal. But you need But you sometimes. all were in that together. We were. We were That's all beautiful. in it together. I love that. <laughs> It was beautiful. And when I would lay down in the back of the club, just like paralyzed from this food poisoning and feeling so sick and the room was like spinning. I'll never forget. It was, uh, the music being played was, uh, Sun Ra, his rocket number nine <laughs> song, which now, you know, I love Sun Ra and uh, right. it had, it was, but it was the first time I heard it. It was so weird. It was such a bizarre. Every experience. time you hear it, do you feel a little like, Ugh, oh, like I'm gonna, <laughs> I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Not, <laughs> it's not that visceral, but I do think of it. I oh, okay. Think there we it. go. That's so. But good. I love that song, so <laughs> I, I can listen to it. But it takes me back. You know, it it's like those moments are are important in life. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> uh, uh, um, something we were saying a little bit ago about <clears throat> about like the actions in life and like finding inspiration, like having to do things like going to the gym in order to like inform your yeah. studio it, I wanted to come back to that a little bit because um because that is literally what the that is what my muse was for this entire show was that that whole idea of the artist's life actually being 
not in the studio, but it actually being all the other things outside of it. And I think that right. it's, um, I don't know. I think that sometimes when we see, I think that's why like this podcast is so interesting because you're able to hear an artist talk about all the things that go into the work. But I think that when we look at Instagram, we only see the work. We only see the productivity that everyone else is doing. We're like, God, everyone, like they just crank it out or they just made it look so easy or whatever. And it's like, the honest thing is that like being an artist is just as much about (laughs) going to the gym and like treating yourself when you need to and also like making sure to talk to friends so you don't drive yourself crazy in the studio it's like as much about like keeping your brain just functioning and being able to show up the next day as it is about the colors you're mixing on your palette like it's totally it's so i did not realize i thought that this was going to go away i thought i was going to phase out of this but the further i get into it the even more it becomes about my life outside of the studio right yeah and it's funny because uh, when you do see someone who frames their work as being that sort of beautiful, like when you look at the grid of their photo or when you, you know, the perception of it just being this wonderful and you're like, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's, it's like life. You know what I mean? When people try to frame right. their life that way, it's like, no, we all get sick. We all like step in dog shit. You know, we all get rained on or whatever. And, and it's, that's the real battle is like the day-to-day just keeping in it the grind of it you know but you do that out of love of it not just because it looks good you know what i mean or it's like it's like this charmed existence it's more of like the exploration of life you know it's like a parallel for that right exactly yeah and i think yeah i think that life and being an adult is a lot harder than i thought it was gonna be like at that (laughs) i don't even it's not even that hard i'm so i'm like the most privileged person you know ever and it's it's just hard like our car has we need to get our car registered it hasn't been registered in a year we need to go to the dmv we keep not having to it's like just basic stuff like that where you're like god instead of just being an adult is like why do i have to go to the dmv this sucks you know and like it's just interesting how much of that exists and then figuring out how to have all of that existing and still be like how do i distill beauty out of like all the things that I'm seeing in life and <laughs> the DMV and art, the polar opposites. I'm just kidding. That's, right. that's not the polar opposites. I'm, I'm yeah, but it's, it's that Agnes Martin idea of like all work is about beauty. It's either yeah. beauty or the lack of beauty. I so, know. Oh, she's you know, the, pick your poison. Yeah. Agnes Martin's writing which, is like, Oh, is amazing. Like, right. Oh my God. It's, I, I need to read it every night before bed just to recenter myself. I don't, but I should, I'm going to, Get a book. Well, I was, was going to ask if you like Anne Truitt and her work and if you've read her books. I've not read her books, no. Oh, my God. All right. All I, right. Uh, unless I'm... Assignment way for off, me. Unless I'm way off mark, I think you will love her, her books. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. They're, just, they're, they're about her life and the, this, these moments. It's just, they're great. Oh, okay. And her good. work, I love her work. And it's funny because her work is like super minimal and austere and you would think like oh this is like a cold person who's making this work because there's no like it's not emo you know but then like you read the books and you're like this she's living it you know it's yeah. like so deep into it that that's like you can't judge someone off you know the their work in the sense of like you know if you're painting something that's really raw and emotional you feel like the person's just gonna be crying in openings or like you know it's or like com- it's like the thing like where you go 
talk to a comedian and you just expect them to be cracking jokes nonstop. It's like, no, sometimes they're just normal people. They just, they're funny and they get on stage and they're funny, you know? Yeah. So, and, but these books are amazing, I think. Oh. I've loved them. Oh, good. Okay. I'm excited. Uh, that, it's, you making that comment reminds me when I was at, um, when I was in a show with Jack Hanley, I, I was in a show with him this summer, a three person show, and I met, um, Ooh, I'm blanking on his name. The guy that owns Canada. I can't remember his name right now, but Canada Gallery. Um, I don't know who owns Canada. I don't know. This guy who's good friends with my gallery, Jack Hanley. And I met mm-hmm. him and he was like, oh, you're the painter. He like he just like, has seen my paintings. He was like, I thought you were going to be like a, I thought you were going to be like a serious old man after when I saw your work <laughs> and then meeting you. I'm very surprised that it's you that made it. And I was like... Because I was wearing this like big fluffy silly shirt, and I was just like, like a little tipsy. I was like, "Yeah, it's me." I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but I think he was like, "You're disappointed or confused," because he was like, "I, I don't, I saw your work, and I thought you were going to be someone different than the person I'm seeing." Right. And it was yeah, kind of nice. So I was like, "I'm glad you thought I was going to be like a crusty old man." Like that makes me. That means you think my work is good. <laughs> right. There's a lot of, there's years of, of knowledge and experience. Yeah, wisdom. It's, it's a latent comment that's, uh, it, you know, it's a compliment. Exactly. <laughs> Even if it was unconscious. Um, so what are you working on these days? I mean, you have the show up now, right? I have the show up now. I'm in that period where I've just finished a bunch of work that this work felt like I'm proud of the work now, but making it felt like pulling teeth because my brain, I don't know, I was going through a depression making the work and I'm figuring out what that means, but um, like making the work was a lot harder than making any work has ever been. So I'm kind of like taking a couple of weeks after the show to be like, I did it. Like I'm like letting myself be proud of myself because I... It was like an emotional feat um, to get mm-hmm. it done. So I'm that period ends this week, <laughs> and now I have to go back to work and start painting again. I don't know what I'm going to be painting um, at all. <laughs> um, just, do you just go back in? You just go back in the studio? I just show back up. I mean, I went today. I'm, I'm doing encaustic studies of other paint of paintings I've done, and like to me, encaustic nice. is like a really nice way of doing a process in a different way. Um. Like I, I don't. My brain is doesn't have new content in it yet. Like it's still like, I have a lot of. I have a solo show coming up in the fall at Jack Hanley Gallery, and then I'm supposed to make work for. I'm gonna make one, maybe two paintings for Freeze with Philip, um, for with Philip Martin, the gallery I'm with right now. But my, I this happens to me. Like I takes a little to get back into the new. Yeah, the way that I was thinking about the other day, the analogy that I had is I have asthma and there's this machine when you go to the doctor where you have to breathe into this machine and it's like they want you to breathe. You take a deep breath in and you breathe until you're like almost like coughing because you can't breathe out anymore. So it's like you're like, you're like, it's like from your stomach. And I feel like making the work, I got to the end and it felt like the end of that breath at the doctor where it was like, I did it. I breathed it all out and I'm not, I don't, I'm going to take a breath again soon, but I haven't yet. So this is just how I am. I kind of go through these periods of productivity and then I like, right now I'm 
going out to dinner with my friends a lot. I'm getting drinks. I'm like being very social. I'm seeing all the people that I didn't see for the months when I was painting. And I'm going to enjoy Mardi Gras and I'm going to kind of like enjoy living for a bit. And all of that is going to turn into paintings for the fall. That's the work you're doing. That's (laughs) what you're talking about. That's you don't think is work, but it ends up becoming the work. Yeah. I think that I haven't been present in my life in a while. And I, because I've been so worried about painting and if I'm going to do a good job or not. So right now I'm being present. I have a new kitten. I'm, um, watching fun movies with my husband so that's the hard work i'm doing <laughs> yeah cat paintings and movie stills i think that's what's coming <laughs> oh i hope so i hope movies. so yeah um but yeah i don't know hopefully hopefully good stuff is to come but yeah of course it will be <laughs> uh, last question what is what's the kind of music you're listening to now like what are you really into lately Mm, what am I listening to right now? Is well, new stuff or is it all um, the, the classics? Let's see. This week I've been listening to a variety of. Um, I'm gonna look at my phone to check, but I I've been listening to a variety of Louis Armstrong, Chet Baker, and Bad Bunny. How was that? <laughs> uh, three of honestly, three of my favorites. <laughs> Seriously, I've been on Bad Bunny a lot lately, and uh, Chet Baker all time have you read air guitar no by Dave Hickey? no it's a book about a, chet baker there's an essay it's a group of essays and one is on chet baker it's great okay well you give me a list of all the things that i need a list sure. of all these things i can't wait to read them all <laughs> yeah it, it's i'm coming off as if i re- i don't read i don't read anymore i like read like a book every 10 yeah, years but you read in the past <laughs> so i want to read the things you read in the past it sounds great i i also i listen to my books and then i read Right now I'm reading Ninth Street Women, which is this amazing. Oh, that was great. Book. It's yeah, it was so great. good. I'm reading that right now. I'm like most of the way done. Um but but yeah, I, I need to Yeah, the more Chet Baker. Chet Baker's great. Chet Baker's so good. And um yeah. what a sad story. Speaking of someone who made beautiful things but riddled with the opposite. Oh, I'm worried. I don't know much about his life. Now I have to learn about it and be all sad, but it's gonna be good. I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna be fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, that's that's life, you know. Yeah, yeah. His music <laughs> is so in, good. Oh, it's it's beautiful. Um, and then Louis Armstrong is amazing too. Like, were we talking like Hot Fives, like the old stuff? That's I've been my listening. Favorite. My favorite is Louis Armstrong with Ella Fitzgerald. I think they have like two albums together, and they're like my favorites. Um, yeah. they're just like he's just like a good person to have on in the background a lot. I don't know. I I've my husband's a big jazz guy, and he. We listen to a lot of other jazz, but it's just whatever he puts on his phone, and I'm, I'm bad at remembering all the things that he puts on. But it, my music taste is what it's like. <laughs> I drink what my husband makes me and it's in a cocktail, and I listen to what he puts on, but I don't even know what it is. I just enjoy it, and um. <laughs> sometimes it's nice to not have to make every decision. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really like letting him make a lot of decisions about that kind of stuff. He is very good taste. He's introduced me to a lot of good beverages and music. So great, That's great. for that. <laughs> Sounds like you found a good one. Um, so for people to find your work, you're definitely on Instagram. I'm definitely on Instagram. And then is that the best place for people to sort of see where you're going to be having your shows and all that stuff? Yeah. I have a website technically, but it is so outdated that it will tell you that I probably still live in Chicago or something. So <laughs> <laughs> don't look at the website. Well, what, and, and the pronunciation of your name. Oh, I think um, I know it, but Trependal. 
Yeah. Sophie Treffendahl. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a... It's Danish-German something like that. The D-A... D-A-H-L, is that right? Yeah, D-A-H-L. Yeah, that's, that's like German. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's... Sure. I kind of forget. You haven't done the 23andMe yet? I did it. Like, I know... I Okay. The last... The family... I mean, I know where my family's from. We have done a family trip to Germany to meet all of our German cousins, which none of them spoke English and none of us spoke German, so... Weird, weird time. Awkward. Um, we went to Denmark. A lot of them speak English, so we met all our Danish cousins. I just can't remember where the last name. I think it's a German name, but I can't remember yeah. what the. It's like a hybrid situation, but um, but we are we are rooted in with our family history. There you go. It's so much so that you couldn't even talk to them, but you went to see them. I saw them, and we and we. They gave us a tour of their beautiful farm, and I said. I love it. But they said yeah. something in German. Das ist sehr gut. That's the one expression. <laughs> That's what they said, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, it was great to talk to you. Thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, this was really fun. And Thank I look you. forward to seeing your show. You're going to be showing in New York, right, in the fall? Yes, I'll be showing in New York. Boom. I may be in a group show before that, but I can't remember. But um, I will definitely be there in the fall, like... September, October. So let's get together. I'm excited to write the essay for the catalog. Oh. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> exactly. You're in your book. I'll, I'll uh, send the invoice over tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Jack's going to want that. <laughs> uh, well, thanks a lot. It was great talking. This is awesome. Thank you so much for asking me. Sound and vision is recorded, edited, and produced by Brian Alfred. Intro by Michael Lovett. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, Fulcrum Coffee, and the New York Studio School. Thanks to Sophie for the conversation. Follow her on Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's a big help and you'll feel good after doing it. Also check out the podcast book by I Make Art. It's available wherever you get books. Thanks for listening and stay creative.